listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette, and I'm Molly Ruth, producer for the podcast. In Season 1 of Superpower Curiosity, we're exploring divisiveness and how to get beyond it. This also happens to be the subject of Richard's recent book. It's a freaking mess. How to Thrive in Divisive Times. This episode is called The Tyrannosaurus in the Room, excerpted from It's a Frickin' Mess, and read by Richard himself. Let's go! Why do people from different political parties hate each other? Why do people who believe in a religion that espouses compassion kill those who believe in a different religion that espouses compassion? These questions are often answered in terms of the strong human desire to belong, to feel part of a group identity. And yet, some people who enjoy group identity are highly tolerant of differences, while others are willing to kill or die in their passion to condemn those with different beliefs or different appearances. Clearly, there is another factor involved. This factor is both obvious and hidden, simple yet multifaceted. We all have it, and it is really easy to sense in other people, just as you can easily smell someone else's breath, but if you've ever tried to smell your own, it's impossible. Your nose and brain have already acclimatized to whatever resides in your mouth and consider it to be the norm and therefore A-OK. Divisiveness is associated with a simple, often overlooked, tyrannosaurus-in-the-room feature, the human ego. I'm using the word ego in its colloquial and original sense, as in, he's got a big ego the sense in which the majority of people use the word. Our ego is our pride in our identity, our pride in being different from others. Our ego makes itself bigger, sometimes ginormous, by feeding on differences and comparisons, allying itself with those it considers similar, and diminishing anyone it considers different. The ego sees itself as special, If the ego were honest, it might say to itself, I am right, good, superior, or, at the very least, special. You are wrong, bad, inferior, or, at the very least, not nearly as special as I am. Even if I'm not as skilled at something as you are, I'm still more special than you. My personal history is special. My character is special. My characteristics are special. My beliefs are special. My feelings are special. My successes are special. My failures are special. I'm different from you, and that difference makes me special. It is this specialness of the ego that makes it possible for 90% of us to think that we are better drivers than average. It is the ego, equally, that enables any one driver, whatever speed he drives, to believe that anyone driving slower than he drives is a moron, and that anyone driving faster is crazy. 
But what about the importance of self-esteem? Isn't it vital for everyone to have self-esteem? Should we not think well of ourselves? There is a crucial difference between self-esteem and ego. Self-esteem is how we feel about ourselves, while ego is how we compare ourselves to others. You can be proud of yourself without putting anyone else down or thinking you're superior. You can acknowledge your own life-given gifts, your humanity, your moments of courage, your kindnesses, your hard work. This recognition of your own greatness is a wonderful thing. And in being open to recognize your own greatness, you can also be open to recognize the greatness in others. Self-esteem has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority to others. It is actually those who lack self-esteem who get caught in measures of superiority and inferiority. This can be very confusing, because those who think they're superior or who act with superiority usually do not realize that they are trying to compensate for their lack of basic self-esteem. Bullies lack self-esteem as much as those who admire bullies or worship celebrities. It is also true that many of us are brought up hearing messages from family or society that we are less than. This is both unfortunate and untrue. No one is less than. No one is more than. The reason it may be difficult to believe this is that most of us have been enticed into a make-believe world in which there are imaginary clubs of superior and inferior people. Most of us have been taught that we're in one of these clubs, or sometimes in both of them. Unfortunately, when we believe we are members of one of these two clubs, it often becomes our experienced reality. But if in our own hearts we do not believe in these differentiating clubs, then even if others treat us as inferior or superior, we will not be so affected except perhaps in the compassion of knowing that they, the accusers, are caught in their own prisons of limitation. With regard to specific tasks, some people may of course perform better than others, but this has nothing to do with the value of the person. Each one of us has innate strength, compassion, diverse talents. Each human physical body over which each of us has some jurisdiction, is a phenomenon of unimaginable complexity. Your body contains, for example, more electrons than there are grains of sand on this earth. There are around 500 trillion of these moving electrons in each of your cells, and there are around 37 trillion cells in your body. Huh. It's hard to grasp the size of a number like 37 trillion. If you tried to count this number as fast as you could without stopping to eat or sleep, it would take you more than 4,000 lifetimes. That's quite a long time. And yet, each one of your 37 trillion cells is a powerhouse of flexible creativity, more complex than a space shuttle. You are truly a miracle of creation. Self-esteem is the humble recognition of this fact. Wow, 
I'm amazing, you might say, though no more amazing than you, or you. It is when we forget the fact of our innate greatness that we try to bolster our image of ourselves through comparison, through measures of superiority and inferiority that otherize those we consider different. This is the ego, the mental organ of otherizing. So why do we have this ego? And does it have any positive attributes? The ego can be seen as an intricate part of the anger, fear, fight-flight, self-protection mechanism. This system is focused on the individual against others. When there is physical danger, we protect the individual self or the group against attack. If a lion is charging you, you consider only your own needs and not the hunger of the lion. This is natural and very useful to your continuing existence. In situations of danger, you see yourself as good in the sense of worthy of survival and the attacking force as bad in the sense of a danger to your physical integrity. It's an opportune time, you might say, to be selfish and not an especially practical time to engage in being considerate. I, you, us, them concepts are valuable for self-protection when there is physical danger to ourselves, to our families, or to those who are dear to us. Sometimes, otherizing the source of physical danger can be life-saving. The problem occurs when we turn others into enemies based on differences in beliefs or physical appearances. Prejudice against an attacking lion is not only natural and useful, it's also short-lived, because the attack is short-lived, whichever way it goes. Prejudice against those who are different creates a scenario of permanent embattlement. It's permanent to the extent that the differences we focus on and feel superior or inferior about tend to become ingrained in our minds. Making enemies. It is actually impossible to have long-term prejudice against another person or group without the ego's pride and difference. Here's a five-point summary of how the ego is inextricably linked to prejudice and otherizing. One, the personal ego is the mental organ of otherization. I'm better, you're worse, I'm more worthy than you are, or whether I'm better or worse than you, I'm more special than you are. Two, personal egos gang up to form collective egos. We're right, they're wrong. Those who are similar to us are good. Those who are different from us are bad. Three, all prejudice is based on a single irrational process. Those who are different from us are less worthy than we are, and therefore less worthy of compassion, kindness, inclusion, respect, or self-determination. 4. Ego and prejudice are inseparable twins. Prejudice cannot exist without the ego's pride in one's difference. I'm different, therefore I'm better, or more worthy, or more special. 5. Prejudice creates counter-prejudice, 
which bolsters the original prejudice in an escalating vicious cycle. First ego. I hate you because you're different. Second ego. I hate you because you hate me. First ego. Well, if you hate me, I hate you even more. The ego's disguise. Recognizing our own ego as a prime cause of our prejudice against others, it's me, not them, can be kind of embarrassing. For this reason, we each tend to hide our ego, and then it lurks in the background, the invisible Tyrannosaurus in the room. Despite the fact that the ego's pride in differences creates the misery of divisiveness, not many people want to see it, talk about it, and, no, certainly not admit it. Since the ego, by definition, sees itself as primarily good and in the right, the ego-driven mind has enormous difficulty admitting its desire for specialness. How can the system for self-righteousness, the ego, ever admit that its apparent superiority is based on something so petty as the need to feel that it's better than another? The contradiction is stark. The ego sees itself as good and right, but the ego's need to feel superior to another doesn't look good or right. The ego usually handles this otherwise glaring inconsistency by a simple and automatic maneuver, disguise. It resorts to self-deception in order to maintain its good opinion of itself. All cruel people, wrote Tennessee Williams, describe themselves as paragons of frankness. They probably believe it too, such as the ego's capacity for disguise. Almost any liability can be airbrushed into an apparent asset. For example, liability, prejudice, airbrushed self-perception. I'm very honest. I tell it like it is. Liability, vindictiveness, airbrushed self-perception. I believe in justice. Liability, exploitation, airbrushed self-perception. I'm astute. I'm smart. Liability. Misuse of power. Airbrushed self-perception. I'm strong. I'm a great tactician. How our ego creates anger and fear. When there is no division into good-bad, us-them, when there is no enemy, it is easy to hold our thoughts lightly as possibilities or hypotheses. When we are not emotionally identified with our beliefs, we have no adrenaline reaction if they are challenged. It's fine for others to have different opinions, and we can enjoy the traditions we love without putting down anyone else's tradition. But as soon as we define our specialness by contrasting ourselves with those who are different, as soon as there is ego invested in our belief, something else happens. If I think that a belief or label is me, is who I am, then any challenge to this belief feels like a challenge to my very own self. An attack on a belief we are identified with feels as if our very existence is being threatened, and we will do almost anything to get away from or destroy the perceived threat, which is accompanied by an outpouring of aversive emotion, fear, anger, 
disgust, disdain, hatred, and so on. This becomes a vicious cycle of divisive energy. The more we identify ourselves with a thought, belief, political party, nationality, i.e. we believe this is who I am, the more we see others with different beliefs as a threat, an enemy to the identity we think we are. The more we see others as enemies, the more we suffer from our own adrenaline response to the enemies we have created in our minds. And the stronger our adrenaline response, the more certain we are that we are right. Anger and fear confirm our sense of the danger of the other. It must be true. I can feel it. The social brain connects with others through recognizing commonality and shared humanity. When we are in the mode of openness, we experience others as similar to us, and we can feel the elevated emotions of empathy, compassion, ease, peacefulness, and care. But as soon as we attack, or are attacked, with we're right, they're wrong beliefs, fueled by the ego's pride and difference, we move into self-protection mode, or you could say identity protection mode. We're no longer able to experience those heart-opening, connected feelings because our primary objective is to survive the assault of the enemy, even if it is an enemy we have helped create in our own minds. Threats that endanger our physical survival. Not all enemies are created entirely in the mind, of course. Civil rights activists have been shot or attacked by dogs. People who have tried to protect the trees of the Amazon and the livelihood of their own families have been murdered. In case of physical attack, our self-protective fight-flight response is natural and may be protective against a real enemy in that moment. There are many situations in which self-protection takes priority. Sometimes, though, we may have more choices than we might realize even when there is physical danger. Martin Luther King refused to see white people, including the overtly violent minority, as the enemy. Through the strength of his belief and his courageous renouncing of physical fight or physical flight, his movement changed the scale of overt prejudice in the U.S., this chapter is on a key factor in most conflicts. It is our pride in differences, the human ego, that either starts or escalates most human battles. Those who killed civil rights activists suffered from the ego's pride and difference. I'm better than you because my skin is a different color from yours. Those who kill the people who try to protect their trees are also suffering from the ego's pride and difference. They believe that the indigenous people are so inferior to them that their lives are unimportant. These are just two examples of the devastating potential of pride in difference. This one belief of the ego, we are superior, is at the heart of nearly every war and atrocity. Fights between political parties enmeshed in self-righteous anger are fueled by the same belief, this certainty we are better than you. The relevance of all this to us personally is that understanding it gives us a means to change it. 
admitting to ego usually reduces ego. And since prejudice cannot exist without ego, this starts a beneficial process for all parties. Melting walls of prejudice allows the possibility that other views can be better seen and respected. The recognition of the play of ego creates an opening for greater humility and tolerance. And this, in turn, reduces our own suffering from the ravages of our own long-term adrenaline responses. We are almost invariably happier without our pride in our differences. Thanks so much for listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette. If you have a question or comment for Richard, you can send an email or voice memo to superpowercuriosity at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, we have a favor to ask you. Please help us reach more people by taking a moment to leave a review and or telling a friend about the podcast. Episode 7 is scheduled to come out in two weeks. So subscribe now to hear Richard's next Curiosity Room conversation with Lester Strong, award-winning TV journalist, news anchor for WHDH-TV, executive director of the Peaceful Guardians Project, and wise facilitator on how to heal racism in America. Till next time, stay curious. <laughs>